1: Family Vision Media. Go to familyvisionmedia.org find out more about what we're doing and contribute to the cause. You'll find a lot of links there, especially our link to Alliance for Shared Health for healthcare access without all of the nonsense. No abortion funding, uh, nothing that goes against the word of God, just access to quality healthcare. Your own doctors, everyone's in network. It's exactly what you're looking for. Click the link at stacyontheright.com. So right now, it's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the show. We have Mark Caleb Smith. He is the director of the Center for Political Studies and a professor of political science at Cedarville University. Mark, thank you for joining us today.
0: Uh, it's my pleasure to be with you, Stacey.
1: So the Equality Act, um, by its very name, is billed as something that we should all support unless we're bigots or racists or um, uh, religious extremists. But when you look in the bill, when you start to read the text of it, it doesn't actually look as if we're going to get religious freedom if this bill passes. It looks like it's either or.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's great marketing, you know, the Equality Act. It's a great title. And like you said, to vote against it sounds like you're voting against equality in some sort of radical way. But uh, the bill... Uh, you know, I think I try my best to avoid, you know, inflammatory rhetoric, and I really avoid culture war rhetoric, and uh, I try to be fair and objective. But this bill really, I think, is an attack on religious liberty. Um, it it does not allow for religious exemptions to be in place, uh, so that churches, schools, uh, religious organizations of any kind would be put in really difficult positions. Um, when it comes to things like homosexual conduct, when it comes to transgenderism. And if this bill passes as it is, then we're going to see significant conflict moving forward.
1: So for people who are thinking about this from, you know, the, they may be saying, look, I don't I don't actually have a problem with transgenders or any of that stuff. And, right, you know, right. I, there, there may be a little less political. Um, I, I encounter people like this all the time. They're like, you know, you're just so into politics and you just have so much to say about politics. And it seems like it's all you care about. But for me, I'm like a regular person. I don't really care. You know, I, I just want to live and let live. And so if they want to do things to protect people, so they're not discriminated against, um, why should I be opposed to that? And I usually, for, for people like that, I usually tell them, well, I, I actually, I don't love politics and it's, it's my job <laughs> and I'm not obsessed with it. I just want to be informed and, part of what I do is try to inform other people. So, you know, you don't have to be obsessed. If I if I absorb all the information and give you the highlights, um, you don't have to be obsessed at all. In fact, you don't have to have it as a job, kind of the same way that we don't have to have um, reams and reams and 12 years of knowledge about healthcare and, and the human body and anatomy and physiology. We allow doctors to do that. So they're not obsessed with right. it. It's their job. And then we rely on them for their expertise. So, Usually at that point, the person that says, oh, well, all right, you, you know, you have a point there. What do I need to know? So if someone says that to you, um, Mark, what do you say? What, what do they need to know about the Equality Act?
0: Well, what it basically does is it takes um, sexual orientation and gender identity, and it makes it what we call a protected legal class. And the goal is to prevent discrimination based on those things, sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, in areas like education, uh, housing, lending, um, and it tries to make a, you know, a safe space to some extent for people who have those identities. And I want to make really clear, you know, I'm not out there rooting for people to be discriminated against. You know, I don't want my fellow citizens to have a difficult time renting an apartment or to have a hard time getting an education or to be unable to pursue an occupation. And so it's not really about, you know, my desire or anyone's desire to discriminate against people. It's about finding areas where we have to reach some accommodations. You know, I teach at a Christian university and we have a very strong doctrinal commitment to traditional marriage, uh tr- traditional views of gender and sexual identity. And if this act were to pass and it were to be fully implemented, then we would be put in a position where we would be unable to choose faculty members Uh, based on those factors. And that would really put us in conflict with our own doctrinal commitments and our own set of religious beliefs. And so what I'm really looking for is a bill that has some kind of accommodation for religion and for religious protection, so that we can make choices about our own faith and how we want to live our faith out, and at the same time maybe still allow people uh, who are in same-sex relationships or who are transgender identity, allow them to function in society, allow them to uh, do all those things, but they're going to have to understand that we're going to have some some lines we're going to have to draw with religious organizations and other organizations as we seek to live out our own faith. This bill just kind of pretends there's no conflict. There's just one set, and one direction to go, and we're all just going to have to get on board.
1: So, um, when when you say that, because I I so agree with you when you say you know we need religious protections, but. As it's been explained to me, and I, the, I think this is the conversation that we have to have as a society, is that we either have the ability to be individually free to choose to um, accept, you know, transgenders and you know a lifestyle decision like that, or to say no one is allowed not to accept it, which means there are just a whole host of things we can think of millions of things that happen every day that we choose to accept or not that we would no longer be able to make that choice. We we literally have the decision between freedom or being automatons of the state and there is no middle ground. And so when we say, you know, well, I respect your right to do or or believe or live or what have you, but then what what they say in response to that is, well, the thing is, I can't not respect your right to be a black person. So the equation of um, sexual choice, right. you know, transgenderism, which is actually a mental illness. It's, I don't, I don't believe it's a choice for people. I believe it's a mental illness as it was once classified, um, under the, you know, the, the rules and the books that pertain to illnesses for people when it, you know, psychology and all of that. Um, so if someone can't say to me, I don't choose to accept you being black, <laughs> you know, cause I can't change that. Um, then, you know, I'm I'm in between a rock and a hard place, but in America today, if I encounter someone like that, I can simply go get whatever I'm looking for from another provider because there's so much right. service out there. There's so much opportunity. So we're no longer in like the Jim Crow era where I literally can't find a place to live right. or a job right. because of right. something like that. Um, but there's there's two two things that are wrong here. First of all, the assumption that all of these different new categories, transgenderism, homosexuality, you know, all of those things are – actually on the same par as innate characteristics like ethnic background. And then the other assumption is that somehow if you are opposed to the expression of these different identities, that you are a bigot and a racist and you need to have the full weight of the federal bureaucracy dumped on you, which is what this bill would do. So how do we talk about it in a way and how do we make other people understand that this, first of all, these are not the same as an innate characteristic like ethnic background. And second of all, how, I mean, how, how do you even justify telling churches that they have to hire same sex couples, that they have to allow boys to go on girls' Um, you know, summer mission trips, right. you, know, you know, where the right. girls all go off, and then now there's going to be a 15-year-old boy, a biological boy going with them, showering with them, etc. This, this is the destruction of all of these norms that we take for granted.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it's a great question, and a lot of things to unpack there. Uh, I try to look at it first in terms of, let's just think of a traditional protected category that virtually everyone in the United States would recognize, uh, let's say religion, that I really can't be discriminated against on religious grounds in almost any circumstance, very few circumstances. So if I have a job, I really can't be fired because of my religion if my employer doesn't like my religion. I have have federal protection for that. Uh, Well, of course, there's a constitutional amendment in place that protects religion. I have a free exercise of religion that's constitutionally guaranteed um, in the First Amendment. However, it's different when... um, So we would never be willing to say to say... A a Jewish synagogue that they have to hire a Muslim to be their religious leader within their synagogue. We're never going to say to a Catholic um, organization that they're going to have to bring in a uh, Protestant in order to run their organization or to be a priest or to be anything else. We always try to do our best to respect those choices that take place within those religious communities, and we're not interested in letting the government force other points of view into those communities against their wishes. Now and so if we look if we start at it from that point of view, you're right, there's certain things that we just simply protect legally, constitutionally. And you know, people don't like to hear this, but there's a there is an amendment, there's the free exercise clause that deals with religion, that's enshrined in our form of government, it's been there since our founding. We have not had that same kind of reaction to protection based on sexual orientation or gender identity. We don't have constitutional amendments, we don't have federal legislation. You know, in the case of race, we fought a war. Hundreds of thousands of Americans died. We amended the Constitution three times in response to that so that we could protect against racial discrimination. We came to a consensus as a society that we're going to protect against racial discrimination. It was difficult, it was painful, it was bloody, but we eventually came to that consensus. There is no consensus like that right now when it comes to sexual orientation or gender identity. The fact that we're even having this conversation is primarily because the court system over the past quarter century or so, has made a series of rulings that have forced this into the arena and now we're being we're being told that we have to simply deal with it. No amendments, no federal legislation, it's been a judicial process. And you know, again, not popular to say, but it, it fundamentally that conflicts with our form of government. Now what I all of what I said, not politically correct, not what people want to hear, uh, but we are in no way in a position as a society to say that we're ready to take this kind of a radical step to determine that these legally protected categories should infringe upon fundamental rights that we've recognized since the beginning of our country's existence.
1: (sighs) Ah, thank God. Okay, so, because the (laughs) the explanation you gave actually works because it's illustrative and it's based in uh, things that people can understand. It's not, you know, high and mighty constitutional principles or things that, you know, only heritage scholars can get.
0: (laughs) I hope so, right? I mean, I hope so. And again, I I would like, I think we're going to need to reach some kind of accommodation. Clearly, sexual orientation is not going to cease to be an issue. Transgenderism is not going to cease to be an issue. Um, And so we're going to have to reach some kind of accommodations in these areas. But it's going to have to be born out of compromise, not born out of this is the way that it's going to be. We're always right. And you're going to just have to get on board.
1: So, we, we just need to go ahead and acknowledge, though, that we are right about the uh, innate characteristics of the way that God created us. And any any illness that that occurs in the human body does not negate what God's word says about the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of human life, which also the Equality Act deals right, with. Sure. So right, right. Um, the, turning to that, I, I I'm disturbed by how they've crammed everything into the Equality Act. So the Equality Act is like the kitchen sink. Anything that Democrats have not been able to convince Americans of at the ballot box to get elected officials to come on board with, they just crammed it into this bill. So it's abortion on demand up to birth, Um, no protections for babies who are born alive after botched abortions, no conscience or religious protections for people of faith who serve as pharmacists over dispensing abortifacients. Doctors over not wanting to participate in the surgeries to uh, you know transition children, and especially not for doctors who want to avoid having any part of an abortion procedure, um, this is radical this this is different from them saying safe, legal, and rare or you know a woman's quote unquote right to choose we're talking about viable babies in the 7th and 8th month babies who could simply be born and placed for adoption to waiting families who are looking for a newborn those babies left to die or placed in plastic bags it's murder it's it's as bad as abortion only abortion gives the the abortion doctor all of the power he dismembers the baby he does all of that he's in in control of that process what they're talking about is if a baby's born alive, and this does happen, that some nurse has to wrap a baby in plastic or leave it on a table to scream out its final hours of life. These are barbaric practices that we know as a country, especially when we look at the scripture, we know what happens to nations who allow this to happen, who actually traffic in this kind of behavior, who nations who enshrine these behaviors as their law and their norms. We know what comes next. So... Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I'm just so appalled that we want this to be the law as opposed to, we already know what's going on, but that it would be the law.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I, I think this uh, if this act were to pass, uh, it would put religious doctors, nurses, pharmacists, as you said, in an unmanageable position. Um, it would deny and undermine the sanctity of life in fundamental ways And it would, as you said, it would prevent those religious individuals from having to being able to exercise their conscience and to act upon their own moral point of view and to choose whether to engage in procedures or not engage in procedures. And again, I don't take this step lightly. You know, I try to be someone who adheres to scripture, I try to be a good citizen, I try to be as much as I can a model citizen. But if those things come into being, then we're gonna see civil disobedience. We're gonna see Christians saying, you know what? I just can't obey this law. I can't go along with this. I'm not going to obey this law. And we're going to end up in courts. We're going to end up in prisons. And we're going to end up being uh, persecuted because of our religious convictions. And I don't want to live in a country where that's going on. I really don't. And I never thought that I would. Uh, But if this act gets put in place, then I'm not really sure how I see many alternatives in those particular areas, uh, for sure. Because again, like you said, we're not just simply talking about to use one example, baking a cake. And I think there are really strong moral reasons to choose not to bake that cake, for example, and that famous example for Jack Phillips in Denver. But this is the the taking of a life. This is a different category altogether. Um, And you can't just simply choose to bake the cake here. We're talking about a medical procedure that results in the end of a life. And we would see, I think we would see, and we would rightfully see, civil disobedience as a result. And, again, I hope we don't get to that point. And I don't think we will. But I hope we
1: don't get to that point. But I I just want to take it a step further, Mark, and kind of delineate exactly what we're called to do as Christians. We are called not to bake the cake. We are called not to dispense the abortifacients. We are called not to help and assist in or perform an abortion. We are called not to participate. And so far, we have been tacitly participating through the payment of our tax dollars and fighting over this politically. But should we get to a place – and this is this is a – I mean, it's a terrible consideration. I never thought we would get to a place where we'd even have to talk about this as a country. But here we are. We have to be clear before we get there what we plan to do when we get there. The, the Bible tells us that we are to at all times be prepared to give a reason for the faith that lives within us. And we are to walk in the steps of Jesus Christ. And he not only flipped tables and whipped people out of the sanctuary – but he went to the cross knowing what was waiting for him there. We have to be willing to do the same thing, which means, you know, we have to defy cancellation. We have to defy, um, you know, the considerations that most of us are concerned with. You know, it's work, it's, you know, having, having some friends, you know, being able to, you know, just the freedoms that we enjoy. We just want to be able to live. But when the choice is living the life that we know and call comfortable and obeying God's Word, we are called to obey.
0: Yeah, there's no there's no question about it. And Scripture is really clear on this. When God's commandments run into conflict with what the, what the government is forcing you to do, uh, when those things directly contradict, then we have no option but to go with what God commands us to do. And we see it in Scripture. We see it repeatedly in Scripture. You know, the Hebrew midwives commanded to kill the male children that were born. They refused to do that. We see the apostles commanded not to preach the gospel. They refuse to do that. Uh, We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego forced to kneel before an idol. They refuse to do that. And so throughout Scripture, we've seen these instances where the children of God are put in a position of conflict with the government, and at the end of the day, they have to choose what God commands. But if you also know, and this is where, like you said, this is where it gets really uncomfortable, it gets really hard, Uh, but you also see in Scripture, when they make those choices, then they just say, you know what? We're going to suffer consequences. We're going to pay a penalty for this. Like you said, it isn't going to be comfortable. It isn't going to be easy. Uh, We're going to try to honor God in the process. uh, But as we do it, then we're willing to make, in some cases, what is even the ultimate sacrifice. Um, And I I think that's what we have to be prepared to do in a situation that's that radical. Again, I hope we don't get there. uh, But I agree with you. We have to have this discussion. We have to have our priorities in order so that if we do get to that point, uh, we'll know the choices we have to make.
1: And so I'm, I'm, and, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, the reason I, why I feel like we need to memorialize that here on the podcast is because um, a, as people, we take our courage oftentimes from hearing what needs to be done. And we have to be activated by simply gaining the knowledge of what could happen and then what we will do in that instance. And so, it, you know, it's not like it's an act of bravery on our part. We are only able to take on the cross if we are enabled to do that through the Holy spirit. So Jesus Christ has left us the Holy spirit so that we can do these things so that we can do all things in Christ through the operation of the Holy spirit. But it doesn't happen when we are kind of, you know, just lulled to sleep with our, you know, Netflix and our, our, you know, uh, entertainments and all the different things we can do to kind of unplug. And I'm into it. I'm into gardening. I'm into watching television, but the, the idea that we can medicate ourselves out of the knowledge of what is brewing um when when it's fully brewed up and they're serving it to us hot and piping we have to be willing to say i will not drink i'm not taking that and so whatever the consequences are come what may and the the most reassuring and frightening prospect is that there are i'd say you know 75 to 100 million people who believe as we do but if they don't have the courage to stand up then these things will become reality. There will not be any pushback and and we will be made to drink of this cup of iniquity. And it's going to be horrible to see people forced to do these things, to have children taken away from their parents because they've been confused and indoctrinated at school and think they're in the wrong body and their parents refuse to give them the the, uh, the hormone blockers, which is also in the Equality Act, The the right. removal of children from their parents for not adhering to this new agenda. So... Um, I, would, I, I think there are a lot of scriptures and a lot of stories in the Bible that speak to God's, he, he is so faithful to us. If he gives us something to do, like get canceled or to stand up against a tyrannical government, he also enables us to do it. And he sometimes will step in with miracles to enable us to be able to do it. So I, I don't want people to feel like, wow, you know, Stacey's Debbie Downer today talking about persecution and giving everything up. Right. The fact is, we, there is nothing we can give up that will equal in measure or beauty or um, length of time. We're talking about eternity and crowns that we'll receive in heaven for being persecuted. Anything that we do here will be rewarded in unimaginable ways in eternity. But if we are minded here, if our mind is here instead of on eternity, we will not see that and we will not be able to stand.
0: Uh, I I agree, and I think, you know, we look at Scripture, uh, when Christ tells His disciples what it's going to take, He says, you know, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. And I think that first part of it is where we really struggle. You know, you're talking about the Netflix or the gardening or whatever else that we're interested in. At the end of the day, those are ultimately indulging ourselves. That's not always wrong, not always bad to do, uh, but sometimes we have to deny ourselves in order to pick up that cross, in order to follow Christ. And part of that's being aware, part of that's being educated about what's happening. Um, and I think that's what we're trying to accomplish here. So you're right, we shouldn't be always down about it, but we have to be sober about the, the reality in which our find we find ourselves. You know, scripture calls us to be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. What you're talking about is being wise. you know being critical, being wise, being aware of what's happening. but we also need to maintain that innocence. you know be loving. As much as we can, be peaceful. Try to be part of the solution. We have to pursue those things simultaneously, and it's hard. It's hard. But you know, nowhere in scripture uh, do we see evidence that the Christian life is going to be easy.
1: No, we don't see any evidence of that. But you know what we do see is that God gives us glorious experiences right. in this life. It, it is an adventure, and if we're living it and it's kind of stale and there is no adventurous aspect to it, then we maybe aren't as far out there as we need to be. It's it's when we go out there on the edge and we're really literally holding hands with Jesus, doing whatever it is that he's called us to do, that the adventure begins, the exhilaration, the excitement. You can see God's hand working. You can see him answering your prayers in real time and you experience him fully. And it's just a taste of what we will have when we have face-to-face interactions with him on the other side. And I got to say, who, who doesn't want that kind of... of exhilaration in their life. Who doesn't want to see God literally changing circumstances, changing lives, um, his hand at work here on the earth, which it can't, he can't operate here without us. That's why he left us here to tend the garden and to disciple others into the kingdom. And so we have to get, um, We have to get to talking about it and living it out in a way that other Christians will say, man, I want some of that juice, and then they'll get it, and then others will get it, and that's how we get the revival that we're looking for in our country that we so desperately need. A revival blowing through this country like a whirlwind would preclude any legislator from ever saying the kinds of things that they say on the floor of both houses of Congress or from bringing these ungodly bills and passing them out of the House of Representatives, which the Equality Act has already passed out. We even had three Republicans vote for it. So, um, you know, when when are we going to not just get out there and dance on that edge ourselves and live with Jesus Christ in this adventure, but call others to it so we can do it together and experience these great feats and wonders that we've seen them in the Bible. The age of miracles is not over. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God can't do miracles today. We know that he does it, but... Do we want to see them ourselves? Do we want to experience it ourselves? That's my question for podcast listeners today. And if you do, well, then what are you doing about it?
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. And I think that um, our goal, ultimately, with how we live our lives, to glorify God and then to show that glory to not only our fellow believers, but to the world around us. And you hope and pray that that has the kind of impact that you're talking about that it does create that revival that I think we do so desperately need. Um, but at the end of the day, we live that glorifying life to God, and the consequences are sometimes, are in His hands. How that gets used, how that takes place, but we're responsible for what we do, we're responsible for how we behave and for how we live and for how we engage the world. Um, and that's what we have to take confidence in. And, uh, you know, I, on the whole in America, being a... a I should say, especially a white Christian, has been a pretty easy existence for most of our history. Well, we're getting to that point where it may be a more uncomfortable existence, and we have to be willing to deal with that.
1: We do, but, um, you know, it it might get uncomfortable. In fact, I think it already has (laughs) for a lot of us. It has already gotten uncomfortable. But um, God replaces, he, he restores what the locusts have eaten. He He's yep. so faithful with us and so generous to us in spirit. And we we have an amazing inheritance and heritage to get to be called by him to execute his will on the earth. And so it's something that we get to do. It, it, it's not a, oh, my goodness, I need to. It's a we get right. to. And so when we have that attitude, it becomes, oh, wow, I get to share. I get I get to pray over my server today, you know, asking the server at— At your lunch or wherever you're eating, can I can I just pray for you? Do you need anything? Is there anything going on? Uh, You know, the first time you do it, you're going to be so nervous, and then when you see the look on their face, they're so relieved (laughs) that someone wants to pray for them, or that want you know that someone's interested in them beyond I need some more sugar. I'm out of sugar. I'm out of creamer. You know that that kind of stuff, (laughs) Um, and and it just goes from there. You know, the opportunity to. Uh, pay for the person behind you at the grocery store, or, you know, something God will open your eyes to show you. And that's when the adventure begins. I, I just got done reading Miracles by Eric Metaxas, and he outlines miracles from people that he knows. So none of the people that he's interviewing for the book are not his own personal uh, acquaintances or friends. And the stories in there are some of them are, it's like a little miracle where you're like, wow that can't be a coincidence. And some of them are huge miracles. We're like, wow, God is still doing these things. So it's kind of like, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? And we we don't have much time. I, I feel like when we look up and see last November's election, when we see these bills coming out of this new administration, when we see their plans for immigration, the time is short. So what can we do? We can ask God, what can I do? And he'll show us we're not we're not all called to, you know, be professors at universities like you are or, you know, podcast hosts like me. But we're all called to do something. And we could definitely be having the adventure and doing it and smiling. And other people will be like, what in the world is, you know, why are you smiling? And you can tell them (laughs) and then their adventure will begin. So uh, I hope that people are encouraged by what you shared today, even though, you know, what we discussed was was really tough, and I have links in that explain the dangers of the Equality Act and how it's a Trojan horse on this podcast, and I would just ask people to share it. Uh, I'll hand it over to you for any final thoughts that you have about this.
0: No, I appreciate it. Uh, I I would just second that uh, we're ultimately obligated, you know, Christ tells us in Matthew 5, uh, to be salt and light in the world, and uh, that's, that's not an option. It's a requirement. It's a commandment. And we can do that whether we're teaching at a university, whether we're hosting a podcast, or like you said, whether we're in line at the grocery store, we can always be those things. And that's what we're called to do. Uh, sometimes that looks public. Sometimes it looks private. Uh, but we have that obligation everywhere that we go and with every person that we meet.
1: We do. And I think um, once we get started, it, it, you can't. first of all, you can't stop. And second of all, you just love uh, the new feeling that you have when you're in that moment, it just, it just replicates and it expands. And then when you open up your word to do your devotionals, it the word comes alive. It, it doing this all the time instead of just on Sundays and Wednesday nights or, you know, whatever your routine is, it energizes your whole life and enables you to accomplish things you never thought you could. And that's of course God enabling you. But who doesn't want that? Um, I'm so excited that we got a chance to talk. I hope you will join us again um, to chat about more issues that are coming up. And I especially hope to have you on the Sirius program um, so that we can unpack a couple more of these bills that are coming out. Uh, It's been so great to talk to you today. And uh, God bless you. I hope the blessings just run down and chase you and overtake you and run out before you, as the word says. Mark Caleb Smith, Director of the Center for Political Studies and a Professor of Political Science at Cedarville University.
0: Thank you.